2: Oh, my word. Sorry about the fact Well, this is the latest we've ever been. Blame the Prime Minister. Quite literally blame the Prime Minister for everything at this particular point. Uh, We were delayed because Rishi Sunak has just done quite the press conference. I think uh, you'll all agree. Um, Where to even begin? Uh, We've thankfully got some fantastic guests who can make sense of what we have just heard from Rishi Sunak. Now, this was a long-trailed speech, I suppose, um, which which um, is about net zero. So people actually thought he was going to call an early election, which given he's about 20 points behind in the opinion polls, admittedly, would have been quite the move. Um, now, what I think we're going to talk about today is obviously later we'll talk about the politics of this. We've got Adam Bienkov, He's a brilliant uh, political journalist at Five Times to make sense of a speech that Rishi Sunak has just made, which is scaling back Britain's climate commitments. This is a desperate, panicked... Uh, that the government is currently in. Um, and what that means is, well, the future existence of human civilization, as far as Britain's commitments has been thrown under a bus for the perceived short-term partisan ends of the Conservative Party. Now, I just want to quickly just do a clip from, because I think this is important context, and this is from Liz Truss yesterday. Liz Truss, you may remember, is Prime Minister of 49 Days, Uh, Crash the economy and the Conservatives' electoral fortunes. Uh, Now, you might think after that she might just disappear from public life. Oh, no, she's trying to fight for the battle, the future, the heart and soul of the Conservative Party. And I would say she's winning. Let's just hear what she said.
3: This means slowing the rates of increase to benefits and tougher work requirements.
2: It means raising the retirement age further. And in the energy sector, we need to get on with fracking and abolish the windfall tax. We should diverge
3: properly from the EU so we can increase competitiveness in areas like financial services. And finally, we should, as many other
2: Western countries are already doing, delay implementing net zero commitments, such as the ban on new petrol and diesel vehicles from 2030.
3: Other environmental
2: regulations which are hiking the cost of living, like enforcing the replacement of gas and oil boilers, should also be abandoned. This will not be easy, but
3: it will be worth doing.
2: Notice that. So Liz Truss yesterday kite flying for the conservative right, particularly going for net zero commitments. And that today is exactly what Rishi Sunak has done. It's interesting, actually, that Labour have released a quite good, they did quite good pictures at the moment. I don't like their politics, but uh, they have a picture of which is mimicking previous conservative attacks on the Labour Party, which previously showed... For example, Ed Miliband in the pocket of uh, Nicholas Sturgeon. This one has a tiny little Rishi Sanak in the pocket of Liz Truss. Now, look, Rishi Sanak was somebody who came out of nowhere. He was appointed Chancellor of the Exchequer because his predecessor, Sajid Javid, would not allow his advisors to be removed by Dominic Cummings. So he wasn't loyal enough to number 10. Rishi Sunak was then replaced. He got a short-term political boost because COVID happened and he was associated with free money because of the furlough scheme. And uh, that put him in pole position. He's out of his depth. He doesn't know what he's doing. He has extremely right-wing politics. He's more to the right of uh, of Boris Johnson, for example, significantly so. Boris Johnson positioned uh, himself to the left on the economy compared to David Cameron and George Osborne. But Johnson, quite interestingly, has said that Britain cannot afford to falter now in any way, lose our ambition of the future on net zero. He said that businesses must have certainty about our net zero commitments. Yeah, the worst person you know makes a good point mean they creeps in. Uh, the likes energy companies like E.ON have hit out, car manufacturers too, uh, on the rowing back because businesses need uh, certainty, and obviously, rowing back on these commitments mean there is no such uh, certainty. Now, just quickly, because I want to bring in our first brilliant guest. Uh, we do actually have. Um, I might actually just. I'm, I'm worried about subjecting it to him for his own uh, mental health. To be honest with you, let alone my own. Uh, but we're going to bring in. Let's bring in uh, Leo Murray now, uh, who is a fantastic, is the, uh, a brilliant. Cl- oh, hey, hey, Leo, how you doing? Uh, a brilliant climate campaigner um, and one of the goatee people always on these sorts of issues. Uh, Leah, how are you feeling after seeing that press conference?
1: Oh, I can't believe it. I've made myself sit sit through it. Um, I mean, I'm. Uh, mm. How am I doing? I'm. I am reeling. It, it was it was enraging to hear. It was the double speak that was so enraging. You know, it was it was full of up is down, black is white, war um, is peace stuff. Uh, I guess, you know, so the, the headline is for people watching, it's really important to understand, you know, he he finished his speech by saying we're still committed to net zero, we, we're going to achieve it. We're we're still going to achieve net zero by 2050. But the things he's just announced, the, the the rollbacks on policy commitments that he's just announced, literally just, just one of those, the transport one, is is enough to mean net zero twenty fifty is at, is 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 unreachable. So um, I guess there, were, there was a lot of stuff in that. It was very garbled. Um, for people who really pay attention to this stuff, you know, we, we, we're watching and just going, what? I've scrapped it, right? Plan sorting your rubbish into seven seven bins. I've, scra- I've scrapped that. There was no plan to force people to have seven bins, right? So, you know, we're all...
2: This, this is what script. I loved about it, is, is All of a sudden he said, all these taxes on me... Uh, forcing everyone to share their cars on the way to work. Seven different bins. We've scrapped all of these proposals. What yeah. else was he talking about? What's he talking so, about?
1: I mean, so these are things that don't that don't exist, right? So that that that's like all, all of this stuff that he reeled off. Oh, I'll scrap this. I'll scrap that. He is referencing. It, it, it is the case that, like, the, so the climate change committee. We have a we have a body in the UK that's a statutory advisory body, and they are, exist. The climate change committee. They're called. They exist to describe the least disruption, lowest cost glide path to the targets that uh, the government is legally committed to achieving in the Climate Change Act. So the Climate Change Committee, they're there to tell the government, well, you know, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, basically. And then there's lots of options on the table and the government um, take takes them or doesn't. Now, when it comes to some of these things, so eating red meat and dairy, we are collectively going to need to do this by about a third less, you know, across the whole of the population. We need to eat about a third less meat and dairy. There isn't another way to do it. There's not some magical unicorn meat that we can switch to, um, you know, that nobody will notice. So there's been repeated calls for, you know, things like taxes on the highest carbon forms of meat, things like steak. Now, those calls have always been met with definitely silence from the government, um, you know, uh, and, and sometimes, insistence that they're not going to do anything about it. so this is this has happened lots and lots of times. Um, and when the government published their net zero strategy, which is sort of the live document that sets out what this government how it's going to achieve net zero, they accidentally published a paper alongside it uh, which was setting out sort of nudge stuff right to to help support people to into more into more low carbon behaviors. And they unpublished that, they unpublished that about uh, an hour after publishing it and saying that was published in error. And they issued a statement saying we have absolutely no plans to try to force people to, um, to sh- change their diets or, or to fly less, right? But the truth is, Owen, so when it comes to meat and dairy and air travel, those are things that just there isn't another way to do it. We're going to have to find a way to fairly and equitably do collectively across the whole population less of those things if we want to meet our climate change goals. And so because this has come up a lot um, in recommendations from experts who who know how how to achieve our climate change goals, the government has um, uh, mainly ignored those, sometimes said, we're not doing it. And some of the things on this list, taxes to discourage flying, taxes on eating meat, are things that have been proposed, um, but the government has never considered. Now, some of it's compulsory car sharing uh, uh, is like, where's that come from? Nobody knows. Yeah, I mean, it's like,
2: I've never, even... ever, ever, I've never heard that suggestion ever in my life. It, I mean, it's it like has... they've almost come up with caricatures below a Daily Mail comment, yeah. like, you know, on the comment page and then just said, you know, yeah. and, and we've scrapped it. It's oh, like, what do you mean we have scrapped it? <laughs> i
1: scrapped it. You know, the, so the seven the seven different bins thing, you know, I'm on a WhatsApp group of people who work on circular economy stuff and they're like, I think this refers to, there are seven different waste streams, right? So there are different types of things that we throw away at the moment and we need to have strategies to deal with each of those differently. So, um, you know, it seems to relate to that. There's never been a proposal of seven different bins. Um,
2: so a lot of- Everyone story- personally has to have seven different bins in their gardens. Yeah. That's, that is, that's what, that's, that's
1: that's the implication of what he said. So, like a lot of this is basically joke stuff that they have ne- that they've. There's never been a plan for. So all this stuff, I've scrapped this and I've scrapped that, but it doesn't relate to anything real. Um, the the significant things that were in this speech are the plans to phase out the sale of new internal combustion engine vehicles. So we were committed until today to end in the sale of new fossil fuel cars uh, by 2030. Now, not completely, because you would still be allowed to sell hybrids um, for uh, for another five years, that was the plan. Now, although initially there was pushback from the uh, car lobby about these proposals, they basically all accommodated themselves to it. And um, actually, massive amounts of investment have been put behind meeting this target by car makers, but but also, you know, by like people involved in grid infrastructure, you know, people who uh, who make charge points and everything. So there's an h- enormous business lobby and huge. We're talking tens of billions, you know, probably to the scale of hundreds of billions of pounds of investment to deliver this 2030 goal. And that's why you're seeing this level of fury from people like the chief executive of Ford, you know, the SMMT are not friends of the environmental movement, right? The SMMT is the uh, Society of Motor uh, Manufacturers and Traders. They are basically the car lobby. So they work for, um, you know, they're, they're the trade body for car makers. Um, and they are a very influential lobby group. SMMT are livid, absolutely livid about this, rowing back on this proposal because they'd all, they've all planned for it. And um, you know they've got b- business and investment plans that relate to this, and so, so so back to the like the climate change impacts. This is the most significant thing that's in here because that date was chosen because the climate change committee had identified it as really the last possible time at which we can continue to add new fossil fuel cars to our roads and still meet net zero. If we're still adding new fossil fuel cars to the fleet by then. You are talking about basically we, we can't meet the target, or we're going to be decommissioning a lot of cars before the end of their operational life. So very very high capital cost. It makes it much more expensive to meet the target. If or either we don't meet it, or it costs us a lot more to meet. So that that's just, like the most significant thing in it.
2: Just on the, it's not the just only complain, thing, by the way people are saying no everyone has a garden i don't have a garden so i wasn't trying to be presumptuous there uh just in terms of just i just want to play a little clip just because i wanted just to how he's framed this versus what yeah. actually is actually happening because you know some people tuning in might not have heard what, what he said if you're watching do press like and subscribe by the way and use super chat to put questions to leo uh let's just have this little clip just as an example
0: and now it is time to address the bigger long-term questions we face the real choice confronting us is do we really want to change our country and build a better future for our children? Or do we want to carry on as we are? I've made my decision. We are going to change. And over the coming months, I will set out a series of long-term decisions to deliver that change. And that starts today, with a new approach to one of the biggest challenges we face, climate change. No one can watch the floods in Libya or the extreme heat in Europe this summer and doubt that it is real and happening. We must reduce our emissions. And when I look at our economic future, I see huge opportunities in green industry. The change in our economy is as profound as the Industrial Revolution, and I'm
2: See, this is what's interesting. So he starts by accepting that there is actually a climate emergency happening. People, and he's he's obviously aware that people have seen what's happened on their screens. Know what climate denialism just it doesn't have any salience, and any party hoping to be a party of government cannot possibly now claim or people
1: went on holiday and they they couldn't leave their 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 hotel rooms because it was fifty degrees outside. You
2: know, you can't exactly. So what? And he, but what he's doing, and I just want you to kind of say, respond to this, because he says, look, we're a will beater. We've done way more. Our emissions are only 1%. Why should ordinary, and he's trying to almost toy with class politics here in a perverse way. He's like, why should ordinary people in this country have the burden, uh, suffer these huge sacrifices when actually Britain has done way more than all these other countries? So what, what, how would you respond to that?
1: Well, so, so no country has overperformed. On emissions reduction, so that's just the that's important to know. No, nowhere in the world is is actually overperforming. What we did have until today was world beating targets on climate change, and that is true. So the the UK was the first to come up with this net zero uh, a, a, approach and and commitment, and to uh, uh, ascribe it into law. Right, so we did that first, and then over hundred countries have followed suit. And that that was that's very significant. And that really was global leadership on climate. Right. And that was delivered under under a Tory government. But we're not talking about delivery. Here. We're not talking about performance. We're talking about target setting and target setting for decades in the future. When everyone who's in government today will be out of office and probably dead in dead in the grave. Right. Is a very, very easy thing to do. What's hard is delivering the policies required to achieve the targets. And you have to remember, we were failing even before all the Uxbridge by election and then all this started to blow up. And um, the government was failing on its climate change commitments. It's uh, Zach Goldsmith, who's the former environment minister, whatever you may think about Zach, the rest of Zach's politics, he, he is actually an environmentalist. He quit in June in disgust at Sunak's position on climate change. He was like, I'm not being listened to, I, I, I can't be a part of this government anymore. And then we had the Climate Change Committee, the statutory advisors. They publish every year, they publish a progress report. How are we doing on this journey to net zero? They published their progress report in July this year and it was the worst progress report the government has ever received. It's absolutely littered with you get a red amber green uh, settings for across all the different policy areas. And for the first time ever, it was just full of reds. It was covered in reds. So, you know, what's happening here is they're embracing failure. This is, they've been failing, right? They know they're failing to, to, to succeed, would require them to do things that um, are ideologically anathema to Tories, but also uh, painful for some of their donors. Um, but let's just take this point like, I don't, you know, Rishi Sunak. He cares about the impact of these policies on people, apparently people who are struggling, you know. He doesn't seem to care, obviously, about the impact of all of his other policies on people. Yeah. That's not a problem. It's fine to bankrupt people, uh, drive them into poverty for other reasons, but but not this. I refuse to do it. I won't do it. These these commitments were going to reduce bills for consumers, right? I mean, for a start, you if, if we were leading on EVs, you would have lower cost, you get economies of scale, you get lower cost, smaller EVs, they're already cheaper to run, right? They're more expensive to buy up front. If you're rich enough to be able to afford one, it's then half the cost per mile, you know, if you're if you're charging at home, right? So that will lower costs for people. And specifically, the thing we haven't spoken about yet is that the new commitment in this, the other really significant thing, apart from the electric vehicle stuff, is uh, scrapping energy efficiency regulations for uh, for people who own properties right now specifically that's owner occupiers so homeowners is like a key uh obviously a key part of the Tory electorate but the other bit is landlords so scrapping energy efficiency uh requirements for landlords which words you to mean that if you're a private landlord you couldn't rent out your property without first upgrading it so that it's got um it's got adequate levels of insulation so people can stay warm right and um, that. He scrapped that. So they're no longer going to, what it says in the leak from the cabinet um, is ever. So we will we're never going to introduce any more regulations on landlords um, to require them to make their homes livable in um, before they're allowed to rent them out. Just absolutely mind-boggling. This is what I mean about the like black is white stuff. It's like, oh, I'm refused to put these costs on consumers. So that's like just the direct impacts of these policy changes will make people poorer. But then there are indirect impacts as well. So one of the reasons why we we in the UK have been hit so badly by the energy price crisis is that we are very heavily dependent on imported gas. So other countries are less dependent on that. And so they were less exposed. We got really hard hit because 85% of our homes are connected to the gas grid. And most of that gas comes from overseas, right? So Putin, we've been very, very exposed to uh, the effects of the of the war in ukraine the office of budget responsibility which is not a bunch of sander wearing tree huggers you know um they calculated that it will be it would double overall because if you delay these things by 10 years it will cost the country twice as much and um, the treasury has done its own review of this stuff the treasury's net re- z- net zero review in 2021 Conclude, I'm going to read it out. The costs of global inaction significantly outweigh the cost of action um, a successful and orderly transition for the economy. realized more benefits than an economy based on fossil fuel consumption.
2: And most I mean, recently. It, yeah, go, go go, just, just as an example, I mean, when David Cameron said we need to get rid of the green crap, part of that meant in practice, massively scaling back the mass insulation program of yes. homes and businesses, which then led to higher costs to consumers during a cost of living crisis,
1: so much more. So it is we've wound up paying so much more because of those cut the green crap, um, cut the green crap decisions. But yes, uh, Chris Skidmore is a sort of turquoise Tory. He was a previously a government minister, and he was appointed by Liz Truss's government to carry out an independent review of net zero. Now, all of us who work in the sector and campaign on climate change were like, oh, this does not sound good. And then we learned it was Chris Gibmore being appointed Well, he was like, okay, that's a sort of sensible, he's a, he's a sensible guy. Uh, he produced his report just a matter of months ago, which concluded that net zero is the growth opportunity of the 21st century. The economy and climate change intertwined. And the UK is well placed to take advantage. We must act decisively to seize the opportunities in a global race. Chris Skidmore has been out doing media today just saying this is an, this is economic disaster. It's an economic disaster for us. So all of this stuff is going to increase costs for ordinary people, but also for the whole of the economy. It's making Britain poorer. Um, and just- that is the view of the Treasury, right? It's the view of the OBR. It's the view of their own former minister, Chris Skidmore. It's
2: just absolutely extraordinary. Just lastly on this, though, I mean, look, let's just... Just I guess not well, not you know the worst case scenario. Do you fear, as a campaigner and an expert, that we're now gonna have, we haven't we've actually been spared a big national culture war on this issue. We've had culture wars about other things, yeah. Brexit, that kind of thing, but also on everything from trans rights to migrants and refugees. We've not had a culture war on this. Could this work? Do you think? Could this actually tap in to a chunk of public opinion? and it become a cultural identity, not about the facts, not about what's real or not. That's not how cultural wars work. And could that actually be something which could poison the well when it comes to this whole discussion?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a danger of that. And I I guess, you know, the the critical thing now is, how does Labour respond? Because basically- Well, look how they
2: responded over you, Les.
1: Exactly. So if you look at you, Les, you, you, you can see, Basically, that is Starmer. Starmer caused that, right? Um, I could go off on a whole long thing about you, Les, but um, it's a particularly uh, vulnerable example of environmental policy because it does have some effects, which, you know, people who have enforced car dependency and stuff um, will struggle to pay the extra costs and everything. So it's a really obvious object of attack. Sadiq was already committed to doing it. And then Starmer's team started briefing against him. Yeah. You know, the candidate in Uxbridge was like, oh, no, actually, I'm I'm against it, you know. And then you had two candidates who were both saying they're against you, Les, but one of them is for the party that's introducing it. You know, basically, Starmer just put blood in the water and then there's been a frenzy, a feeding frenzy ever since. And, of course, the war on motorist stuff, which Sinek has been pushing for the last few weeks, shows you that that is absolutely what they're trying to do. They're trying to pull this stuff in. Um, to a culture war, whether or not it succeeds is all about now how Labour responds because unfortunately, the track record has been every time there's a challenge, you know, the exactly. yeah. administration has capitulated basically and um, and just ceded loads of ground. So, oh, no, no, we weren't going to do that anyway. Um, exactly. this is the moment for you know, Ed Miliband to shine, like, it, you know, it, it, if if if. If they come back strong and they lean into this and they say, "Listen, the Tories are the pro-pollution party. It's not just about the shit in the rivers. They're trying to make us all poorer. You know, planet, the planet's on fire. You know, all of this stuff will cost money. Look, look who says it's going to cost us money. I mean, the CBI is 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 livid about this, right? We're not just talking about a bunch of lefties. We're not talking about campaigners like the likes of me. And um, you talk about the motor industry is absolutely furious. There's a really obvious, there's a very very obvious response." For Labour to this, which is to lean into it and say they, they they're just giving up. They don't know what they you know they don't know what they're doing. They're giving up. It's going to trash the economy as well as the environment. Will they? You know, well, there's an open goal. It's right there. Is Starmer able to land one in the back of the net? I don't. Well, know. Well,
2: that's an open question of what I'm about to discuss. Actually, the next guest, the politics of this, including how Labour are going to end up responding. But Leo, honestly, thank you so much for joining. Leo, by the way, is the don't co-director of the the climate campaign group possible and just one of the best experts on all these things as you've all heard so uh big round of applause and i can see all the love for you uh, in the comments so thank you leo thanks so much for joining in i yeah, well. great. great stuff there tour de force from leo uh, press like and subscribe i'm gonna bring him adam because we've left him waiting which is very rude hey adam how you doing adam's Hi, brilliant adam. political journalist of course It byline times how are you um how you doing? Pff, wow wow <laughs> where to begin just before we talk, just I want to talk about Richie Sonak and just Richie Sonak as a as a strategist, which I think is generous. Um, what we see, I mean, it's interesting what's happened here, because what you got basically is the road here is party gate, Boris Johnson is forced to resign, by election Luxbridge and South lip Ulez, the ultra-low emission zone, which means that older polluting cars have to pay a charge. That's about one in ten, becomes a big campaign issue. Uh, Labour don't win that particular by-election, there's a big, big swing towards Labour. Labour have never won that seat before, uh, didn't win that seat in the 1997 landslide. But that causes Labour to go, ah! And then the Tories think they sent blood. And then they think Mm -hmm. the lesson here is if we can turn issues of the environment into a culture war, maybe we can hold on to power. Plus you've got Liz Truss and and the Tory right flexing their muscles. Is that basically, do you think, what's kind of happened here?
3: Well, I think that's the temptation to assume that's that's what's happening. And I think there is some good evidence for it. And certainly in, in the wake of this leaked announcement last night, there's lots of analysis saying, you know, this is five dimensional chess from Rishi Sunak. And he's, you know, he's trying to put Labour into a, a trap and trying to reform the coalition of socially conservative voters that they won in 2019. And I think you can make a sort of reasonable case for all of that. But when you actually look deeper into where the public are on these issues, it's not the case that there is a, a sort of 50-50 split in the country as there was on, on Brexit for uh, for and against tackling climate change. There are large majorities of the public believe that the government should actually be doing more to tackle climate change, not less. And, it's, and that, that support is across the board, across the demographics, across regions. Uh, talking to one pollster recently, Luke Trill, Uh, who does focus groups around the country, former Conservative advisor as well, Um, and he says that that there is just no market in the public for this kind of anti-green agenda, and actually the kind of so-called red wall voters, socially conservative voters uh, in the north and the Midlands, in some respects are even more committed to tackling climate change, because they see it as a sort of, uh, their, their sort of threat perception uh, is much higher than, than than sort of average voters, and you saw that sort of during the pandemic on on COVID as well. So I think you, you sort of right. look at the sort of reality of where the electorate are. The sort of the alternative the explanation is this is just what Rishi Sunak believes. He is just a very right wing uh, uh, politician, more further to the right than Boris Johnson ever was on this oh, issue. And yeah. I think that's 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 certainly the case as well. But I think there's sort of the sort of more convincing explanation for this is that. He's just not a very good politician. He just doesn't really know what he's doing. And we've had a series of these attempts to kind of spark culture wars. Uh, we saw it on the small boats issue as well um, earlier in the year, trans rights, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on and on. But if you look at the polls over the last six months and longer since he became prime minister, they haven't moved at all. None of these no. have had any effect on the public whatsoever. So I, I think that may well be the intention of some of his advisors, but I don't think that's the way it's going to pan out.
2: I mean, their polling is actually deteriorating at the moment from an extraordinarily yeah. low base. They were on about 80%. His,
3: his own personal polling, in particular, has really deteriorated. And, and this, this taps into that as well, because although he is a very right wing politician, uh, he was seen by the public for a long time, and even by Conservative Party members, as being kind of like a kind of Romani, kind of, you know, the vibes of a kind of sort of socially liberal uh, politician. And so that's where he got a lot of support from people in the sort of blue wall, uh, blue wall conservative voters. That, and as 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 he's been prime minister, that perception has kind of dwindled, which is why his own personal ratings, I believe, are now starting to go down as well. But, and the Brexit people don't trust him Though at the same time. The people yeah. around Boris Johnson loathe him.
2: So he's almost ended up in the worst of all worlds because he's actually an extremely right-wing uh, politician by instinct, I would say. Um You know, if you look both socially and economically, other than Liz Trost, don't know if you can counter counter her. Most right wing leaders since Michael Howard, certainly.
3: Yes. And that that goes to to this announcement as well, in that, you know, who is this really pleasing? Um, If you listen to the sort of briefings, you saw the Daily Mail front page this morning, which is clearly clearly pleasing the, the Daily Mail. But then you listen to his speech today, most of it was about how he's still committed to net zero. So if you're if if you if you among the majority of the public that wants to do more to tackle climate change, you're not going to be pleased by this because it's rowing back on that. If you're on the part of the minority that that is against net zero and wants to scrap it, well, this isn't going to please you either. So I think he's just going to end up, as we've seen from the reaction from Conservative MPs and, big, and business, big business today, he's not really pleasing anybody. He's just antagonising both wings of this argument, such as it is.
2: I mean, I mean, I mean I point to what you were saying there. He's he's actually just ludicrously overpromoted. And the point I made before is he ended up here kind of by accident because his predecessor as 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 Chancellor was Sajid Javid. Sajid Javid refused to accept Dominic Cummings ordering him to so to, to basically take charge of his advisors and centralize his operation under yeah. control number ten. Sajid Javid resigned. Rishi Sunak was put in as a pliant candidate, that's why he got there. He got associated with free money because of furlough, got a popularity boost, which because he was associated with policies all, basically all Western nations had to do uh, to stop social fabric collapsing. Um, but that is why he used that whole uh, platform as a launchpad to become prime minister. But he he doesn't have a strategy, does he? I mean, he, he reacts yeah. to events. He's very, very reactive. And you can see he's he's got these panicked responses, to 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 polling i mean that's what he's do- you know i mean they no. don't actually have much legislation but they have these quick these sudden panicked reactive moments which which don't seem to be part of a coherent strategy
3: Well, this, i mean this is somebody whose biggest electoral test to date was against list truss and he lost to her to somebody who was went on to be handily beaten by a lettuce. so i mean you know the, there is the evidence of this kind of five dimensional chess that we we've heard about we've just seen it it just isn't there? He's he's not a he doesn't have a strategy. His politics are out of touch with the British people, increasingly so. His ratings are going south. Um, the policies he's announced today are at best vague, but in, in in some respects will will we'll actually be very damaging in terms of the dealing with the climate emergency, which the vast majority of the public support. So I just I don't think the evidence is there that he's this great politician that his remaining supporters. Still, suggest
2: that he is. Well, he's also a very dishonest politician. I mean, it was underlined by the fact. I mean, we just talked about the Murray, but I mean, he goes through a load of policies which didn't ever exist, and then claims yeah. he scrapped them. He says yeah. car sharing, compulsory car sharing. What's he talking about? Scrapped it, uh, forcing everyone to have seven different bins. Scrapped it. Doesn't exist. You know, none of this. Mm. None of these are not policies that existed, but he's claiming basically this bonfire of non-existent policies. I mean, I mean, That itself is a thoroughly dishonest approach. To yeah, a, a I, mean, tax,
3: t- I think a tax on meat was one another one that he listed. You know, it was never a policy announcement by his government or any previous government. Again, this this goes back to undermining his weakness. He became in in large part he became prime minister because of the widespread perceptions within his own party and within the public of Boris Johnson's serial dishonesty. Well, it's not perceptions; he was seriously serially dishonest. <laughs> And he, w- he was, and so he had an opportunity and he tried to take advantage of that opportunity to set himself up as a different kind of politician. And I'm sure you remember his sort of speech from Downing Street where he said, you know, this is a government based on accountability and, and integrity and professionalism. Well, he's completely undermining that by pulling off these kind of tricks, which everyone can can see through. You know, there was never any policy for uh, taxing meat or for The 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 long list of other things that he's he's treated about uh, this afternoon. So he's completely undermining his own sort of case as a as a politician, and his own case as a government. And I I I can't see how this is going to end well for him.
2: And and you can see why he shifted onto this out of desperation because the whole obviously their focus, performance of the culture was stop the boats. A completely stupid and self defeating approach. Whatever you think about the issue, I mean, obviously boats more arrivals by boats because they shut down safe and legal routes. We have fewer asylum seekers than the earlier part of this century, but just far more arriving by boats because those safe and legal routes are gone. But yeah. th- those boats are not going, e- even if there's 20 boats or 20 people arriving, you haven't stopped the boats. So, you know, they've doubled down on that. Obviously you ended up with a whole disaster with the boat, Legionella disease, all the rest of it blew up in their face, but they kept going on about that. It hasn't worked And all it does is raise attention to their failure to deal with a crisis they've conjured up and made into a big deal. So now they're pivoting onto this instead. That seems to be what.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, mean, you could be right. The salience of immigration as an issue had massively decreased in in, after Brexit. And so all he's done, he he managed to do is raise the salience of it. You see it in in the polling, uh, in Ipsos's polling, saying which which are the issues that people most care about. That's it's gone up in the polls. But who do people trust more in immigration? It's the Labour Party. So all, all he's managed to do is, is raise the science of an issue that people believe that he's completely failed on and boosted the Labour Party on an issue where previously they'd been seen as quite weak by the general public. So it's, you know, once again, terrible political strategy from from Rishi Sun.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: The other thing I did want to ask is about Labour, though, because what happened with you, Les, was actually the polling shows with the ultra-low emission zone, which was expanded to outer London, which, as I said, only affects one in 10 vehicles. So There's a car scrappage scheme and so on. Um, uh, the polling showed actually most Londoners backed that scheme. And actually, lots of polls suggest either even like 50-50 support in outer London or even some suggested more than not support it in outer London. Um, but what happened was... In that by election, after the by election, because Labour didn't win it, though Labour did well. I mean, it's still a, a result which suggested Labour's on course to win an election. Yeah. But Labour panicked, and what Keir Starmer did is threw the most, you know, the the the, the London Labour mayor under a bus, uh, and tried, you know, and they, and both him and it should be said other leading Labour lights blamed you, Ulez and blamed Sadiq Khan for that policy. And I worry that allowed the Tories to send blood because they thought, well, actually, if we, you know, we, we forced Labour into a bit of a tailspin on this particular issue and we stopped them winning that seat. What do you think? Do you, do you think Labour will hold, you know, the line on? on? I mean, they've already watered down the £28 billion a year climate commitment. They watered down the oil and new oil and gas because uh, they said they'd accept all new oil and gas um, yeah. uh, deals, which the Tories do before the next election is the worry that they'll just be dragged in this direction. What do you think?
3: Well, as you say, they already have watered down the commitment on the the 28 billion a year um, and and, and on new oil and gas exploration. So the signs aren't great on that. Uh, You know, it is notable that we haven't had an immediate response from the Labour Party on this beyond saying, oh, this is just more chaos from the Conservative Party, you know, not giving certainty to business, which is true. But actually, on the principle of, of this, we've not really had a significant response from Labour. So I do think there's a there's a risk that, and, and I, I guess the calculation from Downing Street is that once they've scrapped this policy on on uh, you know, uh, such as the 2030 ban on diesel and uh, petrol cars, it'll be much harder for Labour to then say they're going to um, reinstate that. Uh, because you know, they like, well, businesses need certainty, and you know, which can't, can't continue to go back and forth and uh in and out, but uh, but yeah, I, I do think that's that's a risk. But I, I think it's a massive opportunity for the Labour Party actually to get on the right side of public opinion on this and on the right side of the substance of this, which is obviously you know, climate change is a massive problem, it's going to be the biggest crisis facing um the, the, the entire globe over the, over the coming decades. So they need to be on the right side of this. So far, they've been worryingly silent on the issue, but we'll see if we get anything over the coming hours and days on it.
2: And lastly, just in terms of, look, we're likely to have an election. I mean, some are now saying this is actually a sign that an, an, a spring election could be on the cards. So next May, that is entirely possible. And this is the beginning of their, of their, of their campaign. I mean, I suppose just in terms of how this pans out, because as you've said, the Tories are now in a, in a, in a truly cap. They're heading towards where they were under Liz Truss in the polls. That's where they're mm. heading back. I actually think Liz Truss... Permanently detonated any chance they were of, of winning the next election. I think that whole experience, people just decided, look, whatever you do now, we've we've clocked out. We're going to get rid of you. This is just. Ridiculous. I think so. I agree. Yeah. yeah. But I think just the what it just shows in terms of their strategy for an election. The whole point of what we call a wedge issue in politics is you're supposed to divide your opponents. You're mm-hmm. supposed to cause a, a split with your opponents and their supporters, but they've only managed to do this. They've divided the Conservatives. They've got Boris Johnson denouncing yeah. them. They've got various Conservative MPs and politicians denouncing them. They've got businesses, which I suppose people are the Conservative coalition denouncing them. It, it, I mean, they are heading for a pretty catastrophic defeat with this sort of strategy. Presumably, I mean, mm. what do you think? This is just for me. I I watched this and thought this is the final nail for a panicked and um, and um, rudderless administration. That's how it looked.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, there, there has been a sort of a series of articles in the last few days suggesting that we're, we, we could be heading to a spring election. And you can kind of see the, the reasoning behind it. Uh, you know, uh, if they're going to fight this on a stop the boats um, policy, then boat crossings are going to be lower at that time of the year than they will be in the summer and the, in the early autumn. So that, that kind of makes sense. But I, I do think we're kind of sort of back in the 5D chess <laughs> scenario here. When actually when you look at how terribly they've handled these this announcement today, the idea that they've got this grand strategy for for somehow turning turning around a twenty point lead by May next year, I think is for the birds. Really, I I, I largely agree with you. I think um, from the moment that people's mortgages started to go up after List Trust's um, List Trust's mini budget, that was the I mean the, the 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 polling had been going down anyway for the Conservative Party before that that was a that was the real now in in the coffin and there's been no significant recovery ever since then um if i was rishi sunak i would want to hang around as long as possible in the hope that something comes up um either something the economy improves or there's some major crisis which can 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 help out the the government or that labor party somehow implodes There's some major scan, scandal something that brings brings support for labor crashing down that would be my advice to Rishi Sunak. And I suspect that is probably what we're going to see.
2: Well, interesting stuff. Um, not probably the last panicked announcement made by Rishi Sunak as they flail around and their polling <laughs> continues to <laughs> continues to plummet. It's going to be an interesting few weeks and months. Do make sure, by the way, you follow Adam Bienkov and subscribe to his uh, incredible uh, newsletter, which he has on Substack. Um, but also read his stuff on Byline Times. Uh, you can look up Adam Bienkov, B-I-E-N-K-O-V, um, if you're listening on the podcast, um, on Twitter, so make sure you follow him. But Adam, uh, pleasure as always, honestly. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'll speak to you soon, no doubt. Cheers, take care. Great stuff, as ever, um, from Adam. Um, yeah, I think it is remarkable, actually, how, I mean, just I mean, just in terms of how things have shifted, and th- the only sympathy I would ever give to an argument made by Boris Johnson... Um, this is heavily caveated, I should say, probably in advance. But you see, the, the argument he made that when he was removed as prime minister, the Tories were only a few points behind. I think by that point, they were on an average of seven points behind um, Labour in the polling. They would have had to get rid of Boris Johnson because what would have ended up happening is the inquiry into, we saw what happened, into the inquiry into his conduct during party gates, so he was dead in the water. But if you're going to remove a party leader uh, when you're behind in the polls, what you need to do, is you need to replace them with someone who can reverse that trend, who has popular appeal. And what they did instead is they went for Liz Tross, who combined some impressive skills, I would say, of having opinions on economic affairs, which are wildly unpopular, and go against the spirit of the age. The age in which we live is not one where there is widespread support for slashing taxes on rich people or rolling you know, bonfires of regulation and all the rest of it. Um, but to do drastically unpopular policies and then detonate the economy, that was the moment when the conservatives, I think really reached a point of no return. So that's the one kind of sympathetic argument you give to to, to Rishi Sunak. What he inherited was not resolvable. The, the problem is what he's done since then is well, you can see with Rishi Sunak is he's over-promoted in that he only ended up in this position kind of by fluke and circumstance, by... Essentially, replacing Sajid Javid when he wasn't seen as pliant enough, and then being chancellor when COVID happened. I mean, that's that's why he ended up in that position. But he is somebody who, a, isn't a good communicator. You know, I mean, it's not exactly the the be all and end all in in, in politics. But we're just going to go through the problems he faces. He's not a good communicator. He's instinctively very very right wing. You know. People forget that in 2019, what Boris Johnson did is position the Conservatives to the left on the economy compared to George Osborne and David Cameron. And I think that got lost in a lot of the analysis because, you know, given he surfed the Brexit wave, that was associated with kind of a hard right political project, I suppose. That's how it was often seen. But on the economy, they shifted away from talk of austerity in favor of investment. You know, they had this whole, you know... The, you know, spend on the NHS, education and police. Now, actually, what they did is bake in a lot of the cuts that had already happened. Uh, and they did, do you remember all that kind of, we're going to build all these new hospitals, which ended up being completely and utterly deceitful. But, you know, they did do investment in often very cynical ways, often aimed particularly at conservative voting areas to show support, that kind of thing. But it wasn't the old slash and burn economics. Um, so they positioned themselves in a, in a, in a, in a you know, in a different political space. Now, Richie Sunak is on the right of the Conservative Party. He is an instinctive believer in, you know, hard right economics. Um, He believed, obviously, what Liz Truss tried to do, Trussonomics, uh, wasn't workable in those particular circumstances, not because he had an ideological opposition to what she was trying to do. But it is interesting now that as his own fortunes weaken, as they dissipate, uh, his political fortunes, uh, that the that right of the labor of the conservative party uh, liz truss is in the ascendancy it's absolutely remarkable liz truss ended up with approval ratings amongst british voters similar to that of vladimir putin when she resigned and uh, she led the conservative party obviously down a disastrous catastrophic political path um as well as crashing the economy and with 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 real life consequences not least for homeowners and i make that point because that's a key part of the conservatives Electoral coalition, and um, the the what he's doing is running towards that. And um, so you've got a politician which doesn't, who doesn't have you know the ability to communicate a message, who doesn't have actually a clear, coherent vision other than having basically a series of right wing talking points, which he's which he's trying to stick to, um, and and do these panicked kind of responses uh, to political events in which he draws on that um, on 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 that particular positioning, and. Um, I mean, it it goes against the spirit of the age. My only concern is, by the way, there is a caveat here, um, which is, and I'm going to go through the Super Chat. So apologies for the Super Chats. It's just we had a lot to talk about, given we're dealing with an announcement, uh, which just happened. The only caveat is, I mean, Adam's absolutely right, just in terms of polling and, you know, it's important to say the polling in terms of net zero, including most conservative voters, My my only fear was this YouGive poll, which says 38% says the government should keep its current climate change plans and net zero by 2050 commitment. Slightly more, 44% support delaying or dropping some commitments, although this includes only 17% who want to abandon net zero by fifty fifty. Now, my only concern there is that obviously there's an overwhelming consensus behind net zero by 2050 is that what he's arguing in practice wouldn't be able to get net zero by that date. But that he's trying to make an argument that is persuading people, which is that we were going to get to net zero by 2050, which you want, because he knows that's what the British public want. But there's all these unnecessary things that make you suffer, which we don't need to do to get to net zero. And actually, what's happening in practice is we saw this with cutting the green crap on David Cameron, where they got rid of insulation programs. What that meant was long term, you pay a higher cost for your fuel bills in a cost-of-living crisis. That's what ended up happening. But, you know, you have to have a clear argument um, from the Labour Party. They have to stand their ground by making the point that actually they are abandoning net zero by 2050. That's what Rishi Sunak is doing. He's claiming he's not, but he is being dishonest. He's not He's not being straight with the British people when he says, look, we're going to get to net zero by 2050 because he knows he can't renege on that. The polling is very clear on that. But we're not going to do these partly invented policies, absolutely ludicrous, what compulsory car sharing, this kind of absolute ridiculous nonsense. But other measures on, for example, cars, that's going to end up costing people in the long term. You know, It makes it cheaper to shift, for example, to electric cars. You make it scale. If you look at Norway, one of the world leaders when it comes to, to electric cars, they've invested, they've made it cheaper and affordable. That's the argument that needs to be made. And it just needs to be clear because my worry is, um, that they will make this to a degree a culture war um, in which, you know, you can see what he's... Do- the, as I said before, the thing about a culture war is facts become essentially irrelevant. He's now, as the prime minister, invented a load of fictitious policies which were never going to happen, like compulsory car sharing and everyone having seven bins each, different bins. But he's, he's, you know, the first casualty of a culture war is the truth. It's It's reality. So that's why Labour has to stand its ground, have a very, very clear position, which is ignore that nonsense, focus on the fact that they are abandoning net zero in practical terms and just and 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 going hard. And my worry is about Keir Starmer on Ulez. You, you know, I think a lot of people go, well, you've got it in for Keir Starmer. Well, I've only got it in for him because he he he's he he argues for things and says he really means them and then he abandons them. And obviously with with Ulez, we saw what happened. The Tories scented blood. That's what happened. I think if the Labour Party should have just stood their ground. You know, someone put this to me, actually, and it does make me worry. I don't know if people remember. It was the first, it was the only time in my life before obviously living through 2016 onwards when you suddenly feel you're in the middle of some sort of national crisis where politics isn't distant from you. It was, what, 15, 16. It was the, it was the national fuel blockade. I don't know if people remember that. Um, and that was over over, you know petrol prices and so on. But the the government held its ground. They refused to give in. You know, even they've had the Daily Mail and the Sun, which was a Labour supporting paper at the time, screaming at them. Would Keir Starmer have stood his ground in those circumstances? That's the question someone put to me. Would he he have stood his ground on the fuel drivers' protest of, of, of 2000? Look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about for those who are significantly younger than me as a geriatric millennial. Would he have stood his ground? when the Daily Mail and and, and and the right-wing press are screaming at you whilst all these, you know, hauliers are taking direct action, which is shutting down the country. The country shut down day by day. I remember it very well. That worries me. And that worries me when, you know, the climate emergency is obviously now even more of a real emergency than, than by every day. It becomes an ever greater emergency by day by day, by definition. If Labour don't stand their ground... Um, On this particular issue, is they didn't do with you, Les, even though that was mostly about clean air. The Tories will send blood and they'll push harder and harder in that direction. And you know, in Labour's position, if they end up like, well, you know, you know, what we call the Overton window, which is what is seen as politically possible at any time, shifts ever more against taking tough action with climate because the Tories, you know, um, withdraw um, or abandon various commitments, and Labour don't go the whole way, but they meet them halfway instead. And then that means we watered down bit by bit our climate responsibilities. Anyway, that's what we need to, that's, that's, I think, worth bearing in mind in the coming weeks and months. But I do think I have to say when I watched that press conference, you know, I don't, I mean, I I was in in no real doubt the conservatives were going to lose the next election, but I looked at that and thought they're done. They're cooked, the Tories now, because that is a prime minister who's run on panic. He runs on panic. He doesn't have a clear strategy and he reacts to events. You know, there's no clear sense of the election is on whatever date they're planning it. This is how we we get there and claw back our polling deficit. I just don't think that's there. They don't have a you know a real legislative agenda. There's very few laws being passed in parliament at the moment. Um, so yeah, I'll just go through some super chats. Uh, thank you to Joe Ellis. Uh, state daft. Uh, it sounds like Richie Sunak thinks it's too late for climate change. How else can be considered sensible? Actually, I do remember he did a... I think one of the first interviews he did on GB News when Neil was still there, actually. Even then, it suggested that he had... Let me just look this up, actually. He had um, misgivings on this. Let me just check if it was GB News. I can't remember now. Oh, yeah. So this was... Um, in 2021 June, Andrew Neil challenges Richard I the cost of the government's net zero carbon emissions target. And my understanding is, if I just remember that interview from back at this, I'm just clicking on a GB News link. Sorry, can't find the page you're looking for. Oof, oof! Have they just erased all of Andrew Neil's interviews? That is brutal. Those guys, they don't, they don't mess around, do they? Um well anyway I can't find the interview because it got erased from GB News it's like Stalin's Russia over there. Um oh here we go Daily I'll, I'll see a Daily Mail report um which was Rishi Sunak um blah 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 talking about the triple lock uh, um triple lock and then he was asked um about the cost and of net zero Neil says, the truth is, the The Treasury knows it It just won't make it public. The costs are eye-watering. And then he says, of course, there are costs in transitions, and the Committee for Climate Change has talked about it. Um, And then he goes through looking through the costs of it and saying he's a fiscal conservative um, and saying there was costly transitions. Yeah, at the time, he seemed a bit umming and ahhing. So, you know, I don't think he's someone who's particularly ideologically committed uh, to the issue of, of the climate emergency, and I think there were warnings there. David rutter he's sacrificing our future so he can keep his premiership going a little longer. Would Labour backtrack on this or they keep yamming about fiscal responsibility we're offering now? Well, two big dangers there, David, let's be honest. I mean, he is obviously, yes, by definition, he's 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 sacrificing our future or, or trying to sacrifice our future so he can try to keep his premiership going longer. This is a desperate throw of the dice. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's got the salience. He thinks it does. Um, but what he's doing Any politician who scales back climate commitments is helping to imperil our future as a civilization. There's just no getting around it. It's just, that's what it means in practical terms. And, you know, Labour have obviously repeatedly shifted towards a Conservative position, and we saw what they did over ULEZ, which keep banging on about. Tad Campbell, always the voice of reason. Belgium has four different bags for household waste. Well, clearly that's not become a national culture war. I mean, to be honest, you know, like... If I go down the road, there's a few different big bins for recycling. The world hasn't collapsed. Um, yeah, I upset people before because I said in terms of people's gardens, I don't have a garden either. We don't have any bins outside <laughs> um, in that regard. Uh, so, uh, yes, but obviously it's just ridiculous. Carl Hamilton, devastated to find the title only a metaphor. Well, we live in hope, don't we? Uh, state that similar theme. Whatever happened to spontaneous human combustion during Rishi's speech? Um, state daft, there were probably conservatives saying sink the boats. Um, I think I've seen it even. Well, they were talking about apparently using wave machines and yes, and using the Royal Navy. Yeah, I mean, obviously, what you know, when they're talking about pushbacks or whatever, they're, they're imperiling or threatening the lives of desperate people. Um, in the sea, uh, Henry, in relation to super chat 308, uh, would you like to discuss a plan to weaken Starmer? Uh, sent you a message on Patreon. Con- Zony, pl- oh, I'll, I'll respond to that. I'm not. Sh- just quickly, a weakening star. I mean, obviously, I don't. I'm not a fan of Keir Starmer. And just to be real, from just going to be real, Keir Starmer isn't going to go before the next election. Um, I would much prefer someone else to be leader of the Labour Party. Um, but in practical terms, we're, sh- we're just stuck with that that guy as leader of the Labour Party. How people vote in the next election is obviously up to you. And um, the only thing I would say is vote to kick out the Conservatives. Um, so I don't think that's a realistic strategy. Uh, David uh, Barata, Britain seems to be played by some of its dumbest and dishonest careers politicians in a long time. How do we get rid of this thought? Like, yeah, I mean, look, the p- political establishment is just awful. Awful. I mean, it really is the pits. And you know what? Even if, you know, without going, you know, talking about dewy eyed about an age in which I didn't actually live, but politics in the past, you did actually have very significant political figures with heft, you know, and and, you know, if I look back to, you know, in, in even, you know, with the Labour Party from left to right, you know, these were significant figures, you know, like from Barbara Castle, Tony Benn, Jim Callaghan, Harold Wilson, um, um, David Owen, dare I say. It. I mean, these were all, you know, from left to right, they were, you know, very Jenny Lee, obviously going back, Nye Bevin, Ernie Ernie Bevin, um, Herbert Morrison, um, uh, Stanley Cripps, very substantial figures, Hinterlands. Often, great orators, thinkers, this lot are just shit, aren't they? I mean, again, with the Conservatives, they had very significant, substantial figures. Look, Margaret Thatcher was a very substantial figure. I mean, you know, despise everything she did to the country, but what, what, what were you going to say? She wasn't a substantial figure. She was a lightweight. I don't think so. Ted Heath, as well, for that matter. I mean, you know, Margaret Heseltine. Yeah, they were big figures. These people are. Awful politically and just just, just bad, bad politicians with, you know, I mean, it, it is astonishing case study, Britain, in the last, well, obviously since the Conservatives particularly took over, just national decline. It's just absolutely incredible to watch a country which... I think obviously got so, you know, part of the problem is bound up in imperial pretensions. Britain is not an empire. And obviously, lots of people haven't come to terms with that. Britain is a a, a, a country which isn't, you know, which is below Germany on, on rungs of power. But, you know, just in terms of everything that's happened, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not, I, I guess a liberal would talk in grand terms about the decline of our international stature. Objectively true. Um, but I mean, you know, Obviously, Britain's become a more isolated country. But in terms of, if you just look at everything from infrastructure, you know, just quite literally crumbling and falling to pieces, living standards—the most severe squeeze on living standards in in modern history. Um, in terms of, in terms of, um, you know, public services in the public realm, it's just an an extraordinary decline. You know, it's just this, you know, there was a period after World War II, particularly 30 years, where there was just huge progress. Living standards went up at the most astonishing rate ever. We had huge economic growth. The most, uh, the, the biggest economic growth post-war was the 1960s, that period of nationalization, state intervention, strong trade unions, high taxes on the rich. Best growth we've had. Um, you know, and, and things got better. So public services got better. The National Health Service got better you know, infrastructure got better. It was just, you know, every generation got better off than the generation before. And, you know, that was a great, you know, people called at the time the golden age of capitalism or, or the, um, the French call it the Trente Glorieuse. And what we just had is this astonishing great decline. I mean, it's a great reverse. It's, it's absolutely astonishing. And you can just see it, you know, with a caliber as well of, of, of the political elite. These are just, you know, just bizarre middle managers and and management consultants who've taken over British politics um, who often, to be honest, have, you know, they have ideological convictions which are not matched by a level of competence on the Conservative Party. And then you've got a Labour Party where they don't have any ideological convictions and they're often just complete lightweights. The British tragedy. Um, He's an existential threat to British democracy. The British Erdogan. We must stop him. Well, to be honest, I mean... I don't think that just because he's going to lose, <laughs> you know, Erdogan in, in Turkey, obviously keeps winning and, and they set up a, you know, it's not really a democracy, Turkey, is it? It's a aut- great autocratic uh, regime where everything is rigged in favor of the government. I've been to Turkey. I've interviewed opposition figures. We're not thankfully Turkey. We have had a decline in democratic life and civil society. There's no point pretending otherwise. Um, but we are going to stop him because he's going to lose the election in my view. The issue then is what comes next. Um, And, you know, it's not going to be as bad as this, is, is the best we can, the best we can say. Um, you know, but where's the hope? People want hope now, don't they? Um, I would bear in mind, it's just fascinating hearing this tawdry little speech on reneging on the Conservatives' climate commitments which they made in the last general election so he's reneging on the conservatives electoral commitments should be said um is um the next generation are not going to stand for this or for Labour's own watering down of their commitments i firmly believe younger people are really committed on this they believe it they're the ones who are going to face you know pay the greatest price they're going to live through i would say some pretty gruesome times a lot of us are you know i'm in 39 30 years time 69 years old um you know, I, I would worry about what the world looks like when I'm in what what would that be twenty fifty three. Um, but I think you know they're going to demand. You can already see it the climate movements across the country and how they mobilise younger people. Um, I do always believe passionately in certainly in Britain and the United States in 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 how younger people I think are committed to uh, to you know transforming the world and. We don't have obviously a political elite at the moment which reflects, I think, that profound shift which has happened amongst certainly millennials and generations Z in Britain. But it will come; something's going to have to give. And so, oh, someone said, "Oh, sorry, Henry says." Um, oh, I see. Sorry, he says Starmer is pretty Erdogan. Uh, yeah, Henry, I don't agree. Sorry, I don't agree with that. I, don't, I, I, I cannot emphasize enough how much I have. No time for Keir Starmer in how he's reneged on his uh, pledges. I also am worried about his authoritarian tendencies. You can see how authoritarian his rule of the Labour party has been. Uh, Also, when he calls for things like clampdowns on climate protesters, you know, new Labour was authoritarian. I don't think we'll end up like Turkey under under a Labour government. Um, But that doesn't mean I think... um, you know, I'm looking forward for their record on civil liberties. When I jo- when I first started working for John McDonnell, um, who was ended up Labour Shadow Chancellor, but I worked for him 2005 to 2008. And the first week I was there, um, we were helping to coordinate a backbench rebellion and 90 days detention, which Labour lost that week. It was the first time they'd lost the vote, and I joined that week. So you know, <laughs> lucky charm there. Um, but yeah, I'm aware of the right Labour rights terrible record on civil liberties, and I worry about that. But that doesn't mean we'll end up like Erdogan. Anyway. Right. Thank you everyone. Thanks for joining us. And, um, sorry, it was, um, we're not chaotic, but basically we were doing a show on a press conference, which didn't end by the time we started. <laughs> Um, but I think we the guests were great, and we got through, I think, what's actually happening at the moment as best we could. Uh, thanks. To, I went through all the Super Chats, so I don't think I need to thank you again, um, but thank you to all of them. They were great. Uh, really appreciate everyone. We'll have videos, um, lots of videos coming up as ever, mostly every day. I didn't do it every day the last few days because I've had things to juggle. I'm sorry. I do my best, though. We do do videos most days, to be fair. Um, and, yeah, let's just keep – I think, you know, a lot of the videos, I think, are the next – Year or so, we'll be charting the decline of the Conservative Party. Uh, we're going to Conservative Party conference. We got our passes approved. Can you? I was really shocked. Both me and brilliant Jack Barclough, um, who is my cameraman, um, we got our, our we got our passes um, accepted. So we are going to get... because last year what we did is we hung outside Conservative Party conference on principle because. It would have meant paying, I think, about a grand to go into Conservative Party Conference, which would have gone into their electoral coffers, I just wasn't going to do that. We could have paid it, but I was like, "What? I have to pay the Conservatives' campaign fund. I wasn't going to do that, um, ever, under any circumstances, but this time we'll be in Conservative Party Conference. I think we're going to have fun. I think we're going to have fun talking to Conservative politicians. As ever, you make that possible on patreon.com forward slash ownedas84, so, and do press like and subscribe, by the way um and um yeah so conspiracy party conference is in about it's in about two weeks <laughs> it, it, so it's just gonna be it's just gonna be really fun isn't it oh dear can't wait to talk to them i'm, I'm sure they can't wait to speak to me either so ditto uh all right I've see you in a bit much love